It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number four of Sports Day Plus at 1045, where are we at in society? I always have to give props to anyone trying to pull one over on the airlines, even if they do get caught. At 10.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Kevin Dunn on Texas OU. And coming up in seconds, I am starting with more Red River shootout chatter and a look at some other intriguing games this college football and NFL weekend. I am your host, Trey Elling. Give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. We are now less than 24 hours away from the latest iteration of Texas OU. Live from the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Starting at 11 o'clock. A game that you can watch on ABC. And this is the best ranked matchup in college football this weekend. It's really not even all that close. Number three, Texas. Number 12, Oklahoma. And even if it doesn't feel like a top 12 matchup to some, because Oklahoma, while they are undefeated at 5-0, and have played a C-League schedule, it is still one of those rare years where you have a top-ranked Texas team and a highly-ranked Oklahoma team. And we're all here for it. On the Longhorn side of things, you feel pretty good right now because your team has taken care of business all season long and they seem to thrive when the lights are brightest. They're really taking on the persona of their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, even going back to last year. The best games that he played last year. Alabama, before getting hurt. Last year's Texas OU game, which even though... Actually, OU was undefeated at the time, I believe. Turned out not to be a great Sooners team throughout the rest of the year. And as a matter of fact, they weren't they weren't uh, undefeated either, so my apologies there. But it was still Texas OU, so bright lights there. And then also the bowl game at the end of the year. That other than the New Year's Six games and the college football playoff games, that Texas-Washington matchup was about as tre- intriguing as bowl matchups got last bowl season. And even though Texas lost that game, Quinn Ewers played pretty darn well. That's continued this year. Quinn Ewers, another stellar effort versus Kansas last week in a ranked matchup. He was good again against Alabama, this time getting to play a full game, helping the Longhorns come out victorious. And now we have those bright lights once again, with it being Texas OU, 3 versus 12, and a game that is being nationally televised on ABC for another opportunity For those folks watching nationally to see, sorry Longhorn fans, that Texas truly is back. I feel comfortable saying that now for the first time, really since that stupid cliche got fired up by Joe Tessitore after they beat Notre Dame at near the end of the Charlie Strong era. Sooners are improved from last year. Dylan Gabriel being in at quarterback is certainly going to help. He has been great throwing the football down the field and also working the middle of the field too. So this is going to be 
a great challenge for this Longhorn football team. I said going into the Kansas game last week, that would be their greatest offensive challenge. I said that when I thought Jalen Daniels was playing. When Daniels was forced to miss the game, something that was announced before pregame, that changed things just a little bit. So now this Oklahoma team, maybe with the exception of Kansas State, poses the greatest offensive threat to the Longhorns' defense. Now they are inconsistent running the football, so Texas may be able to vote a little bit more in the way of bodies to stopping the passing attack. And this Longhorn team, when they've needed to, has been great at pressuring the quarterback too. Oftentimes not needing to send too many extra guys in doing so. Because that front four has been so good. Ethan Burke has gotten home at times. And then Anthony Hill, who comes in on more specific pass rush situations, I won't say he's been quiet over the last few games, but we haven't seen a game quite like what he did versus Alabama. I expect something like that tomorrow. Good likelihood we see JT Sanders play for this Texas offense, which is obviously a big deal, but I still think they could win this game without JT Sanders. But to have him in there helps that much more, obviously. One of, if not your most important target in the passing game, you could make the argument that AD Mitchell is a little bit more important right now, but... JT Sanders is a matchup nightmare. Ryan Watts probably missing the game for this Texas defense. Perhaps that adds to the level of difficulty with stopping the Sooners passing attack, but I'm confident Malik Muhammad can come in and get the job done if he's forced into a starting role. So I'll give a prediction with my friend Kevin Dunn here in just a little bit. We'll continue talking about that, but I did want to take a quick look around the rest of college football. A couple of other ranked matchups this weekend, although I would argue that they're not even the best potential matchups this weekend. Number 23, LSU at number 21, Missouri. Eh. I'm more interested if we're talking about SEC play. Number 11, Alabama at A&M. Unranked right now, but they are 4-1. Minus Connor Wegman for the rest of the year. Max Johnson has looked decent since filling in. And this is an opportunity for AM to once again trip up an Alabama team that doesn't quite feel like Alabama this year, although they are improving. Maybe I need to walk that one back because number 20, Kentucky at number one, Georgia, is also a very interesting matchup. Kentucky playing great right now. They pull off the big upset win. When was that? Last weekend. Over Florida. An overhyped Florida team after they beat Tennessee. But then again, how good is Tennessee this year? And Georgia, while they are still the number one team in the country, de facto number one, nobody's all that impressed with them right now. Shaky at quarterback. Defense is still really good, but they have some question marks. They are struggling with explosive plays right now. So maybe Kentucky can capitalize. You also have number 10, Notre Dame. At number 25, Louisville. And that is it for the ranked matchups. Did also want to look at the NFL side of things real quick before the commercial break. About that Bears beat down over the Washington Commies last night. Wow. Somebody who has Justin Fields and DJ Moore on both of my fantasy teams. I love to see that one, but nobody really cares about that game. 
Looking at the state of Texas teams first, the Texans travel to Atlanta to take on Bijan Robinson and the Falcons. So congratulations, fans in the state of Texas. You get a Bijan Robinson game on as part of your noon slate. Cowboys, huge matchup for them on Sunday night at San Francisco. Two of the, if not the two best teams in the NFC right now squaring off on Sunday night football. Can't wait for that one. This is one of those weeks where the Cowboys offense is going to need to do a little bit more to win this game. And it's a tough task for them because that San Francisco defense is on the same level as the Cowboys defense, especially with Trayvon Diggs no longer back there in the secondary for the Cowboys. And it's also a great test for this Cowboys defense, too. If you're a Dallas fan, this should be an exciting weekend for you to really see what your team is made of right now. We do have to always add the caveat five weeks into the NFL season that there's still a lot of football left to be played if you don't win this game. But it's good to get these barometer tests, to get the temperature of your team as they seem primed to... Make a playoff run this year for the first time in a long time under the control of Jerry Jones. And sadly, NFL fans, I mean, there are some other okay matchups this weekend. There aren't any other matchups involving winning teams. It's just Cowboys and 49ers. As crazy as that is. We will continue... The football conversation coming up next with my good friend Kevin Dunn hopping on to talk Texas OU and a whole lot more here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back on a Friday edition of the Night Talker, less than 24 hours before Texas OU. That game kicks off from the Cotton Bowl tomorrow at 11 on ABC. And joining me now to talk about that and more is my good friend, Kevin Dunn. What's up, Katie? How we doing today? I'm doing great, man. You're one of my best friends, if not my best friend in life. And when you ask to uh, do something, I do it. So I'm looking forward to uh, this weekend, man. Does... Texas OU feel like a top 12 matchup to you right now as you've been examining this game all week? Um, I, I feel like there are probably 12 to 15 teams in college football. I, I, it hasn't been this wide open since 1991. Like literally Georgia Tech, Colorado, maybe 07, 08 around there. So yeah, it does, but there are probably, there are probably I don't know, 15 matchups that could be top 12. <laughs> Very good point. So uh Examining the Sooner side of things, what is uh, something that gives you pause as a fan of the Longhorns and something that could be problematic for Texas tomorrow? Um, they, they were last in pass defense last year um, at 274 yards a game, last in the Big 12, I should say. Uh, so, But they also led the Big 12 with 17 interceptions. So they, they were not good last year, but very aggressive. They've kind of done the same thing this year. That gives me pause uh, if Quinn Ewers makes mistakes and they run into some stuff or just run into some bad plays and OU capitalizes and maybe gets some cheap freebies uh, on that. And then also, you know, Dylan Gabriel is very accurate. Uh, he is a soft-tossing lefty, 
Kellen Moore-esque, <laughs> and, but he, he is pretty accurate. And so it, it, the Texas secondary has been very good this year. That still bothers me and worries me. I think all college secondaries are, heck, all secondaries, even in the NFL. Uh, you know, it's been all of football and all of sports really has been legislated to really help out the offense. So the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL. And so it's hard hard to uh, really play in the secondary at any level. And so that does kind of worry me because they are pretty good taking shots. And so I would say both those things kind of, kind of give me pause. And also this game. I mean, uh, my first Texas OU was 89 and Texas was a big underdog. And I don't like being the favorite in this game. And Texas is obviously the favorite. So all, all three of those give me pause. You know, I was trying to think about this because I feel like there are a lot of examples and maybe this is the product of circumstance too, but a lot of examples of an underdog Texas team jumping up and winning this game unexpectedly. You just go back to this last decade and think of a couple of examples. One time when Colt McCoy was the quarterback for Texas, the other time when Gerard Hurd was, there aren't nearly as many examples of an underdog OU team winning this game though. Typically when Texas is the heavy favorite, they win the game going away. Is there a good example that comes to mind for you? And I know you have to go back a little ways because uh, Oklahoma has been much better than bad for the better part of 20-plus years now. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, so usually, you know, Texas is not one or Oklahoma is not as an underdog because they haven't been an underdog. I would say 96, you know, talk about a cruel joke to me. I'm going through chemotherapy, and I'm at the – I'm at the point during chemo at that point where I was really feeling it, you know, like I, I just was throwing up every other minute, losing my hair and uh, 96 would have been that year. And, and they ended up beating Texas. I think the first overtime game and first year for overtime and Texas got up big. And then OU came back. Texas was not like a heavy favorite. I mean, it was a McAvick team. So, you know, they, they were going to let, everyone through the gates defensively but um yeah that that game I remember watching and thinking just please win this game and they end up losing and I thought you know what I mean maybe the chemo won't work I'll be okay (laughs) oh man Uh, offensively for the Longhorns uh things are really clicking right now and part of that is Quinn Ewers continuing to take those steps but part of it also is these Longhorn coaches kind of stumbling into uh, that answer at running back with Jonathan Brooks, who wasn't even the start of the first game of the season. But when C.J. Baxter goes down with the injury, they are uh, forced to play Brooks, and uh, that has turned out to be a godsend for this offense. He is uh, really doing a great job of opening everything else up for this offense, just considering how good and how much of a bell cow he's been at the running back position. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you and I were the only ones, but I know post game you and I talked, uh, early on and said, this is our guy and this is the guy for Texas. And, um, you know, his, his balance, his vision is uh, obviously straight speed, but Jonathan Brooks is the guy. And it, it goes to show you how talented really the backfield is. I mean, think about this, Trey. He was he was third string last year, if yeah. not fourth string, right? Yeah. Yeah, because Keelan Robinson so, technically would have been third string. Yeah, right. I mean, so so he was 
way, way on the depth chart. And um, Brooks is the real deal. I, I think Baxter is going to be a really good back. He's obviously getting his feet wet right now. But Jonathan Brooks is the guy. And Jonathan Brooks, they're going to rely heavily on him on Saturday and, and try and have him. You know, I, I really think that if you look at OU, you know, they've gotten better defensively, but it's about depth. And I don't think they have a lot of depth. And I think Texas is going to try and wear on them. Are you pleased with the steps that the Texas offensive line has taken this year? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it's one of those where I, I felt like, you know, I've worked with a lot of the guys there. So I've worked with Kelvin, Cam, uh, DJ, Christian, and um, I, I, I kind of knew behind the scenes how much work they were putting in. I also knew what type of young men they were and how much they work. And, you know, I mean, Kelvin Banks called me about a Roth IRA at 6.45 a.m. <laughs> at 19. I thought, well, I wouldn't do that at 19. Um, and, and so I, I knew – I just knew how disciplined and how hardworking they were. Um, with all that said – I still almost needed to see it until I believed it. And so um, I am surprised, not surprised, but that is the, you know, the strength of this team is the offensive and defensive line. And when that's the case, watch out. Cause that's how you win games. When quarterback's not playing well, secondary may have some issues, whatever. That's how, that's how you win games in, in football at every level. And so uh, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, I'm a little surprised only because they've been so good. And I also think they run about eight or nine deep if Cole Hudson is healthy. You know, Cam Williams would have been starting at left tackle for this team the last two or three years uh, or, or the last 10 or 15 years when the line wasn't good. And he has been a straight backup. Uh, they've got depth. Those guys believe in each other. You've got the Christian who's 22, 23, and the older guy and kind of the, the dad of the group. And you've got Kelvin who's 19 and calling me at 6.45 a.m. to ask about, you know, his S&P. Yeah, uh, there, there are multiple guys who have played a lot of snaps at their respective positions, and they've played a lot of ball together at this point, too. And same goes for the defensive line, too, by the way. It's uh, not only a bunch of big-bodied yep. guys, but guys who have been on campus for a long time now – Devondre Sweat is the consensus most important guy on that defensive line, despite the fact that you have dudes who can play different positions uh, all across that front. Who do you think the second most important defensive lineman is for the Longhorns? I think Devondre Sweat is the second most. Who's the most important then? I think, um, you know, I watch way too much college football, so usually I'm pretty objective, so uh, maybe there's a bias just from watching it so much I think Byron Murphy may be the most unheralded defensive lineman in all of college football wow and I've talked to two NFL people no one Christian Jones has shot up more than anyone on the offensive side for Texas Byron Murphy is turning heads and people are asking about him nationally By, Byron Murphy will be drafted and if you go look at any pre-draft stuff from August he wasn't going to be Byron Murphy is 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 a Casey Hampton type guy. He's not built like that. He's not the spark plug, and he's not that big. But he's that quick. His pad level's incredible. He plays with great leverage. 
I think Byron Murphy is the MVP of the whole Texas team right now if I had to pick one. Baron Sorrell is another one of those types of guys, too, where it doesn't always show up on the stat sheet, but he seems to be all over the place. Heck, he was covering a receiver downfield last weekend and actually sticking with him, too. The coverage was pretty solid. But uh, it's a team full of guys on both sides of the ball, but especially defense, who don't necessarily need the individual accolades. They all understand what their job is, what the responsibility is, and everybody is executing, maybe not to perfection because they're not shutting teams out each and every game, but man, this is the biggest reason why, as a Longhorn fan, I feel confident about what this team can accomplish this year is because the defense is so good. Yeah, that that was almost Drew Kelson-esque covering Reggie Bush on the wheel route in <laughs> 05, which I still think he picked that ball, by the way. Um, but <laughs> When Sorrell at 6'4", 261 is covering him and covering him pretty well, you know, that's one of those that on film, funny enough, like an OC will look at that and say, oh, God, they're loaded again. <laughs> um, you know, to, yeah, where, that was really good coverage and great point in Sorrell. Sorrell is, you know, with the offensive line, I would say even more the defensive line was one of those that, so I knew the I knew the offensive line was going to be good. The defensive line has blown me away, and it was one of those that it's been. They've told me it's going to be great. I've said it'll be great on radio, and it hadn't been. And I'm like, ah, oh, you, you idiot. Uh, and so this year, I really wanted to see it, and what they did in Bama, what they've done all year, has blown me away. But the depth. Talking with my good friend Kevin Dunn about Texas OU and more. That and more is coming up next. We'll look around the weekend in college football and also talk about the big NFL game this weekend involving those Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. You're listening to Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back with one more segment, talking to my friend Kevin Dunn. Spent last segment talking Texas OU. We will get a game prediction here at the end of this segment. Did want to take a look across college football, though, KD. There are a few ranked matchups this weekend, although I would argue that one of those ranked matchups is very meh. That would be number 23 LSU, number 21 Missouri. Two most intriguing games this weekend of the SEC for me are Kentucky-Georgia, because Kentucky looked really good, what was it, last weekend, and beating an overrated Florida team. And then number one, Georgia, who has not impressed anybody, especially on offense this year. Defense is still good, but offense is leaving a lot to be desired. Do you think the Wildcats can go into Athens and pull off the upset? Mark Stoops has done a great job. You know, so, so Mark Stoops was actually the DB coach for that great Miami run in the early 2000s. And at that point, you know, I, I was pretty impressed. But you had Mike and Bob still doing stuff. Or Bob and Mike, let me say, say it that way, still doing stuff. And what he's done at Kentucky is, is really impressive. It's a lot like uh, what what's going on right now at Duke with Mike Elko, you know I mean? So, so you obviously give it some, some, some leeway because of where they're at. I think they can. Um, Carson Beck looked better, much better when they kind of opened stuff up. Mike Bobo did their OC in the second half. I think this could be really tight. I would take Kentucky with a line. Georgia will some, somehow find a way to win that. 
The other most intriguing matchup in my mind in the SEC is number 11 Alabama at A&M. Now, if A&M had Connor Wegman, you're an Aggie, you'd feel better about this game. Max Johnson has been okay, but uh, this is one of those strange years where Alabama feels a little bit down. It does look like Milrow is starting to get it, though. Watching them a little bit last weekend, he was doing a better job of going through his progressions, which, of course, you can do a better job of when you don't have the pressure that a Texas is placing on you as you are trying to go through those reads. However, uh, A&M has had the formula at times against Alabama in the past. Does A&M pull off what would be a very mild upset right now with the Crimson Tide as only one-point favorites? I'm worried that that line's gone down because apparently Milrow may not be healthy. Hmm. And I, you know what? I, you know, it's not like Jalen Milrow is Tua or Mac or Jalen Hurts or some of the guys they've had in the past. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I, I think they, they, they can. Um, I say unfortunately because I'm rooting for Alabama in this game for yeah. a couple of reasons. One, it helps Texas, and two, I'm – Born and raised in Austin, so. Uh, but uh, I think they can. Um, you know, Alabama's starting. To, their offensive line was going to be a strength, and they're starting to get some of that back a little bit, and they're actually playing a little bit better. So they got to lean on the run game. If Milrow does play, they obviously need to put more quarterback design runs in there, and not just have him freelancing because he's a one read and go guy. And so, and he throws a pretty good deep ball. Everything intermediate has been very shaky. He's getting better, but, you know, I'm going to lean on my heart and say Alabama wins that. But that's not a one-point line for a reason. Part of it's Milrow. Part of it's Alabama. And, And, by the way, Max Johnson, too, is, you know, he flashed at LSU a little bit. He has not been good overall, but he looked pretty good last week. I think Max Johnson is a guy who could, with Evan Stewart and some of the guys they have on the outside, Aeneas, uh, I believe, that they are, like, they could absolutely win that game. And, and and I think that may be the game of the week. Really? Okay. All right. We'll be keeping an eye on that one. That uh, actually kicks off after or as Texas OU is coming to a finish at 2.30. The other ranked matchup is... Your Notre Dame Fighting Irish, they're the number 10 team of the country at number 25, Louisville. Does this game worry you at all? Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, Notre Dame would play Crockett tomorrow, win by seven. They'd play the Eagles (laughs) the next day, Philadelphia Eagles, and lose by 10. Uh, There is no separation with Notre Dame. I I do think Notre Dame needs to open it up more. you got Sam Hartman now. It's not Ian Book and some of the other guys. So open it up. I think they beat Ohio State if they take more deep shots when they should have. Um, so yeah, it, it does worry me because Louisville is a smaller version of OU. We have no, they're undefeated. We have no idea who they are because they've played no one. So we will find out about OU and Louisville and how legit they are Saturday. We are going to move on to the NFL. Now the big matchup of the weekend, the one matchup between two teams that are that have winning records is the Dallas Cowboys at the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday night football a great test for both of these teams right now who look like along with the Philadelphia Eagles the cream of the crop in the NFC uh, for you as a 49ers fan what have you uh, seen seen out of them this year that most impresses you I mean just continuing to kind of do what they do you know that they, they, they've obviously focused on the defensive line and drafting there and the defense 
And I think Lynch and Shanahan have done a great job with that. And then Shanahan's so good offensively that he opens up so much stuff. And so they, you know, with a lot of three-level crossing routes off the zone, outside zone they run with boots and waggles. And, you know, so, so I mean, Purdy's one of those guys where I, I like a lot, but I don't know how good he is, but the system works. So, you know, it, it's one of those system-based things that I just feel like they, they've kind of built that. And, and um, obviously with Debo and McCaffrey's been great. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the coach that we have and, and how we're running stuff because you can plug and play. I'm still shocked that Brock Purdy has become a quality NFL starter this quickly. This is a guy that yeah. never really evolved as a quarterback at Iowa State. Maybe part of that is on his coaching staff. Part of it is on Brock Purdy trying to do too much a lot of the time, and that led to just very careless turnovers and really putting his team behind the eight ball. He's eliminated all of that, which obviously is a, uh, a, a testament to Kyle Shanahan and just how good he is at getting the most out of his quarterbacks. Well, you've got great seats for Texas, and I don't go to that many games anymore because I've been to too many games. And But you and I were at the Iowa State game. Remember that? With yeah. Purdy, you know. That was the year that he was getting a lot of hype. Iowa State was. It was like, this, could this guy be a first-rounder? And I always laughed at that. I, don't, I never thought he was a first-rounder. I didn't think he'd be the last pick at the draft. <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant either, but um, we saw Texas really rattle him that, that night. And, and that felt like the downturn for Brock Purdy and his stock as a draft uh, draft-eligible draft uh, quarterback. And, you know, I mean, it, it's one of those it, – it's like anything in life. Do we get too high on stuff or too low on stuff? And after that night, I mean, Texas almost killed the whole buzz for Brock Purdy. So – so he's one of those guys who, when you go too low on something like that, yeah, he's still a pretty good quarterback, though, and I think he's proven that. And he's in a system where that really helps him out. Like I said, there, there are three levels of crossing routes and crossing patterns and vertical stuff to where he's in a really good spot to read stuff, and he can hit water if he falls out of a boat. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just make it uh... – Maybe idiot proof is not the uh, the exact term here, but uh, make it very difficult for even a guy with average arm ability because Brock Purdy is not going to blow anybody away with arm strength. But he clearly yeah. has that decision or the uh, the vision rather and the decision making ability to find the open receiver and do so as quickly as you need to to be successful in the NFL. Yeah, no, I mean he, he you know, he's. He's a pretty smart guy, cerebral, um, and but but also he's also more talented than people thought. So when you were Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick, people are, people think, you know, are you coming from Colgate? Can you can you throw the ball? He can do all that. Um, and, and one thing, getting back to the, we get too high on guys when people. When I was seeing mock drafts, is what junior year? It's like this guy could be the tenth pick overall. I'm thinking, no, he shouldn't be. <laughs> he's also not the last pick. He, you know, he's got some talent. All right, last thing, Kevin. It is Texas OU, the 119th edition tomorrow. What's your prediction on the game? I usually have a pretty good feel for Texas, whether it's right or wrong. I think I have a good feel. Um, this game has always been the toughest because I mentioned 89 is my first one to go to. 
Texas is a huge underdog. Next year, 90 underdog. Next year, 91. They win 10-7 with Bubba Jacks taking back a fumble. Um, this is a weird game because the talent is never that different. Uh, it's always to the close enough level and emotions come into this game and you can be four and seven and still win this game when the other team's top 10 is more talented. I don't like ever being the favorite in this game. I like being the underdog. So with all that said, I I don't have a great feel because I just know what this game's like. I think it'll be closer than people probably think. And I think Texas wears them out at the end of the day. You can come a long way in one year. And I think OU has. I mean, defensively, they haven't played anyone, so we don't know. But defensively, they are better. They're tackling better. Their angles are better. They're they're more lined up now. Um, but you don't get that much better. They have 56, uh, you know, 56 out of 71, I believe, that played the Alamo Bowl in 2021 are gone. So they have really tried to bring new people in. And when you do that, that's good, but you don't get that much better in a year. And I don't think they have the depth. I think Texas, it'll be, it should be a really nice day, so it's not about heat like Kansas. I think Texas wears on them, and I don't think their depth is there. I think it's probably a longer and closer game than we want, but I think Texas wins, probably 34-27. Yeah, I have Texas winning by probably 10 to 14 points when it's all said and done for a lot of the reasons that you just listed. He is Kevin Dunn. Check him out on Twitter at KevinDunn01 and hear him occasionally on this program as well. Kevin, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Dude, love you. Love you too, buddy. All right, coming up in Where We At in Society. Always got to give props when someone tries to pull one over on the airlines. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment of today's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That is right. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will provide a story that gives you a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly... Today is not that day, and I need to start in the friendly skies today. I always have to give credit to someone who hacks the airline system. The airlines clearly care very little about the customers, but I do need to give credit when a customer fights back and finds a way to get one over on the airlines, even if they do end up getting caught This incident falls somewhere in the middle for me, though. A traveler on a Southwest flight recently filmed the moment she was busted while attempting a method of preventing fellow passengers from sitting next to her on an airplane. A TikTok video detailing... This incident has already amassed more than 3 million views online. The creator, Sophie, said in a caption of this clip, As you can see, I was trying to do reverse psychology. 
on a flight to San Jose, California. So she was flying on Southwest Airlines. As everybody is aware at this point, Southwest does not have assigned seating. In an attempt to game the system and enjoy a seatmate-free flight, Sophie avoided making eye contact with the remaining passengers trying to find a seat. While her cold shoulder initially seemed to do the trick, it eventually backfired after a flight attendant called her out over the loudspeaker. Quote, if you're trying to avoid the eye contacts and nobody will sit in the middle, that's not going to work today, he announced on the intercom. The mortified gal's eyes widened as she realized the steward was talking about her. The flight attendant added that saving the seat with a Louis Vuitton bag was also not going to fly. So that's the key here. It wasn't just about not making the eye contact. She put a bag in the seat next to her, which is a trick as the old as, that's as old as folding chairs, I think. <laughs> see people do it at movie theaters. See people do it at GA seating sporting events. Yeah, if you can help it, you don't want some complete stranger sitting in the seat next to you. But it can also be a bit of a jerk move if you know things are full. And you're still pulling something like this. TikTokers were apparently in hysterics over Sophie's backfired attempt to land a poor person's first class seat, according to the New York Post. One person wrote, I would have cried. You would have cried. Another person said, this is why I put in my headphones and look at my phone. I will never fly Southwest. Thanks for informing me about this. However, others sided with the flight attendant. It's the Southwest humor, observed one person. It also delays the flight when people deliberately make it harder for people to find seats, so he's actually being nice. Another TikToker suggested this method. Rather than avoid eye contact, stare at your fellow flyer so you freak them out and they won't want to sit next to you. I think that's the route to go. You want to look like the biggest creep on the plane to where not only is it a middle seat that somebody's having to choose, but they're about to sit next to somebody who either has a serious thyroid condition or is a complete lunatic, one of the two. But anyhow, sorry, Sophie. It's very rare that on a Southwest flight you get to skip out on having somebody sitting next to you. You guys heard about these weight loss drugs that have become very popular this year? Ozempic is the big one. Wegovy or Wegovy is another one. Well, Despite the fact that you have been told that these drugs suppress appetite, helping individuals lose a ton of weight, nothing easy comes without cost. And unfortunately, we're starting to see that the jig is up with this class of weight loss drug. While using Ozempic, and drugs like it can help to suppress the appetite. It's also causing a serious increase in severe gastrointestinal issues. People using weekly injections, according to new studies, 
of Ozempic and Wegovy, which have the active ingredient semaglutide for weight loss, have a higher chance of pancreatitis, bowel obstructions, and stomach paralysis. That's right, stomach paralysis. Now, the stomach paralysis is something that has been brought up for several months now. Experts warn that while rare, thousands of people could be at risk due to the drug's rising popularity. Lead study author Mohit Sadi, a medical student at the University of British Columbia, Canada, said, quote, people who are otherwise healthy may be less willing to accept these potentially serious adverse events. Previous research had shown that people taking the drugs for diabetes were at higher risk of pancreatitis, bowel obstructions, and stomach paralysis. So this shouldn't be a surprise that if you're taking these drugs that were initially meant for diabetes, the payoff may not be worth it. This study, what separates this from the what we knew about diabetes is that they only looked at the drugs being taken by folks exclusively for weight loss. So there was no diabetes as part of the patients in this research. I think it's a Kardashian that really helped popularize this drug, which is unfortunate for me as somebody who is more Armenian than anything else that my fellow Armenian, I don't know which Kardashian it was. I'm not even going to try and guess for you, but they continue to pollute the collective conscious of society with their nonsense. It's been going on for far too long now. I get it. They're entertaining dumpster fires, but still a tough pill for a fellow Armenian to swallow. No pun intended there with the weight loss drugs that might cause stomach paralysis. Good luck with that one. Hey, how about just change some of your lifestyle decisions? How about get out and move a little bit more? How about less dessert during the week or maybe not eating dessert after every meal? How about making smarter decisions with what you consume for breakfast? I'm not going to get on a whole tangent here. I could, but we're going to move on to the next and final where are we at story for this week where apparently there are women making a living now via Gen Z college students by serving as rent-a-moms. That's right. One such rent-a-mom is Tammy Kuman. She is the biological parent of three and grandmother of six, living in Boston, and she does it all, even in her 70s. That includes emergency grocery shopping, cooking, and laundry. She's even jumped on a plane in the wee hours to bail one of her youngsters out of a Miami jail and has rushed to bedsides in New York emergency rooms. But the people that Kilman is running to help, they're not offspring. They're not Ken. She's just a rent-a-mom. From Kuman, quote, I'm a mom away from mom, a total support system for students. Kuman is the founder of Concierge Service for Students, 
We get kids in pre-boarding schools, boarding schools, or college, and we take care of their practical needs, medical needs, mental health needs, and beyond. We sure this isn't a front for something more? Like gilfs for hire or something? Not saying anything about Tammy Kuhlman's physical appearance here, but this seems a little bit shady. The concierge service launched in 1993, wanting to offer a helping hand to both U.S. and international students throughout the Northeast. The service comes with a price tag of $10,000 per academic year. For their money, parents can depend on their away-from-home offspring receiving regular food deliveries, academic assistance, beauty and spa appointment bookings, aid in making dinner reservations, signing up for gym memberships, apartment hunting, furniture building, party planning, doctor referrals, summer storage, as well as banking and bill payment support. Oh my goodness. You are creating some seriously codependent young adults if you are using this concierge service. Some of it is okay, but $10,000 to allow these young adults to skirt any level of responsibility for themselves? Not sure what you're doing here, parents. Hiring, hiring these potential gills for hire. And don't be surprised if a story arises at some point that somebody within this concierge service, even if not Tammy Kuhlman, is getting involved in some under-the-cover things as a mom for hire. Not incestuous, I guess, because there's not blood relation there, but it sounds incestuous. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you for listening in this very first week. We'll be back on Tuesday at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a fantastic weekend and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.